John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And uh, good evening here, or good morning, everybody, on this, uh, you know, kind of rainy, I don't know, just kind of dark and damp type of thing. It, um, I don't know if it's rained here in the last hour or so, but certainly it looks gloomy outside. Uh, but certainly it looks sunny as far as looking ahead to good football this weekend with a lot of good games. You know, certainly with the San Francisco-Seattle game. I mean, you got Baltimore-Pittsburgh, which is just going to be great. I mean, there's some really good matchups this week as we get into Week 8 in the National Football League. Not so much tonight. I mean, it's Carolina hosting the Atlanta Falcons. You know, Carolina, of course, a little bit of a surprise at 3-4. and four. Falcons, of course, has been a major, major disappointment. So let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. It's critical, you know, to, to develop your, your rush so they can complement with the rest of the game. To get on, on the edge and, and, and force it and break down the pocket and, and uh, perhaps, you know, get clean on the edge where you get right in the, in the face of the quarterback. Um, it's huge. And it's, it's that's nothing new, nothing, uh, you know, that we haven't talked about it forever. But um, so that element is it's just a... It's a built-in need uh, if you're going to have a, a good you know, developing pass rush. Well, something had to be done in the sense that uh, with no pressures and uh, or one pressure and no quarterback hits against Kyler Murray, you can see that uh, everything bottomed out on the defensive line. So the Carlos Dunbar trade, uh, Dunlap trade is really an important one because now it gets a former Pro Bowler. Guy's been to the Pro Bowl in 2015 and 2016. I know that's a long time ago, but he's still a good football player, able to get seven or eight sacks a season. And Dunlap comes over with 82 and a half sacks during his NFL career more than the entire team combined and so that uh, that is a positive and of course the cost wasn't that bad I mean BJ Finney did not work out here and so he goes and you save his contract and then you come back and you get the uh, seventh round pick and so that's not too expensive so overall I think the team came out of this really well and so now it's a matter that Dunlap is not going to be able to play this week because you need the six days for COVID testing and that goes past Sunday but certainly will be on the field for the Buffalo uh, game coming up another week and so uh, that's that's a positive that'll be week nine and so in the end I think that uh, this we'll see if there's going to be any more action I mean again team is tight against the cap uh, you know, would they? Is there something that they might want to trade to get some draft choice value and save a little bit of money under the cap, or what do they want to do? But John Snyder, of course, has got his hands in just about anything going on. We've had 66 trades in the National Football League so far this year, and that's down close to 40 percent compared to last year when it was about 102. No surprise because again, COVID's testing, no no preseason games, everything kind of worked against having to trades. But we're still having a little bit of a flurry right now. Of course, you look at you know the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I think they'll give up just about anything. You know, they've already made three defensive changes this week. You know, Everson Griffin going to Detroit. You know, they did cut, and of course, uh, not only cut Don Terry Poe, but really beat him up. Jerry Jones came back today and said the Poe is about thirty pounds overweight. Pro Football Focus. Had had him as the worst defensive tackle in football this year. And uh, they also cut Daryl Worley, a cornerback they signed for one year, $3 million. And they're not done. They're still listening to more offers right now. They, you know, they could be 
looking not too good as far as Andy Dalton playing. But nevertheless, uh, the Seahawks at least get a pass rusher, a guy that can help out in Carlos Dunlap. Also very good against the run, uh, so that helps. Hey, we, we're pleased to be able to talk to you about John Lynch, general manager of the San Francisco 49ers, will be joining us at 11 o'clock, talking about this game, talking about the injury situation with the 49ers, how it's been tough on this team. And so that'll be coming up at 11. Number two. There are players like that. You're right. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll check out, you know, what we need this week and, and watch our guys coming back, you know, off the injury list and see who comes back. But we are, you know, we have to make some, some moves in, in, in preparation in case the guys don't get back. So uh, we're doing that and we'll wait and see when the week's over so you, know, you can figure out who it is. Pete Carroll talking about the bad situation at running back because, I mean, yesterday, I mean, there was hardly anything left in the backfield because, you know, you didn't have Chris Carson. And, of course, not ruling out Chris Carson with that midfoot injury. Carlos Hyde has a tight hamstring. Uh, you got uh, Travis Homer. You know, he's got uh, a knee. And Rashad Penny looks like he's maybe a week away from coming back off his ACL injury on the PUP. So you throw all that together, and it's not a good situation right now in the backfield. And, of course, in San Francisco, they don't have a real good situation. They may be able to get the, oh, well, let's see. As it stands right now, they had to put Jeff Wilson on the injured list after his 100-plus yard game. You know, he ended up filling in for Rasheem Mozer. Uh, Moster, who's on the injured reserve list. Uh, you know, Talton Coleman might be able to come back off that list and be available. So that means that they're pretty much down to uh, you know, Jarek McKinnon, and that's about it. There's not much else for them right now in the backfield. But one thing you know with Kyle Shanahan, he does an amazing job of whoever it's going to be uh, trying to go ahead and uh, be able to go out there and play and do well. I mean, he's just so imaginative with that running game. So uh, they right now the team needs... Carlos Hyde to play big time this week, and something has to happen because it's not it's going to be a pure passing game, and that's going to be tough. Michael Bumpus will be joining by at 1030, uh, talking about this preview for the 49er game. Number three. Well, if we knew that, we actually do it. But uh, uh, we're we working hard at it. I think that, uh, you know, we've played a lot of plays. Uh, the guys are uh, really uh, pressing and working hard to get it done. Uh, but it hadn't, hadn't come through yet. Uh, you know, one quarter, two quarter, three quarters, and, uh, you know, minutes left, you know, things don't uh, go the way we expect. But at the same time, there's a lot of work being done, a lot of work being done to get it, uh, to get a full game in. So that's Ken Norton Jr. talking about what they need to try to do to start getting better on defense. And uh, that, that's going to be one of the keys because, again, the defense does have to play better. It, did not, uh, it continues to slip. Pass rush hasn't been there. I mean, some of the positives, though, is that Jordan Brooks looked pretty good uh, coming back from his knee injury. And I think he's going to end up being the starting weak side linebacker. He was last week. I think he's pretty well locked down that job. Uh, Quentin Dunbar has, you know, been in and out. And he's still bothered a little bit with the knee. I think he's done some good things in the last week or so. Uh, now, there's other options right there. You know, Dunlap's not available this week, but again, he's there next week. You figure that Snacks Harrison's going to be on the roster. Michael Kendricks could also be somebody that's coming up from the practice squad. And one of the keys is, you know, getting Jamal Adams. Uh, Adams, of course, has got the groin injury. He was supposed to practice yesterday, but he didn't. And I don't know if it was because of the groin or he got an illness, and one thing that uh, is happening this year, if you even have the sniffles, you know, they're going to keep you out of practice just for the case, you know, they're not, they're obviously, he's no positive test or anything else, but again, you have to be very cautious right now, but the defense has to go better, and so we'll see where it goes when they play the San Francisco 49ers. 
Number four. I think for Atlanta, like Atlanta, first of all, stop blowing coverage on defense. That happens way too much. Maybe it's a simplification. You've got to understand that the Carolina Panthers have better weapons than you do. And so stop blowing so many different coverages. Offensively, I want to see them run the football a little bit better. But at the end of the day, like they should be throwing it around the lot. Julio and Ridley, when they're both healthy, have been really good. Matt Ryan's pushed the ball to the perimeter really well. Carolina's defense is good. Like it's it's just a very good, sound defense. They're gonna have to play better on defense to even have a chance to win this football game. I don't know. Dan Orlowski saying sound defense. I mean, uh, you know, Carolina, I mean, they're one of the youngest defenses in football. In fact, the youngest. And uh, I don't know if they playing pretty well. Uh, earlier this season, Atlanta and Carolina met, and the Panthers won the game 23-16. to And they're 3-4, and four, but they've lost two in a row. And, again, that defense is a big issue for them. And the Falcons, of course, have really underachieved on defense, have underachieved on offense. They've been absolutely terrible. So I don't expect a very good football game. Uh, uh, and you look at Atlanta right now, again, it's like uh, they, they've had all these close games, particularly, you know, and stupid things happening, like the special teams coach, you know, having his uh, players on an onside kick, just avoiding t- touching the ball. That was wrong. And then, of course, Raheem Morris came back and uh, took the blame for what he told Todd Gurley when they're trying to wrap up a win against Detroit. You know, just stop at the goal line and don't go in to try to eat up the clock. And, of course, you know, he got so confused that he stopped, didn't like it. And then, of course, he kind of fell forward accidentally. And so, nevertheless, we'll see which of these two teams can come out with the victory. Kickoff is going to be at 520. It's going to be available on Fox, NFL Network, and Amazon Prime. Number five. Third down and seven with Charlton out there for Jacksonville. Minshew's taking a deep shot for Chris Conley in the end zone. Conley runs it down, and he's got it for a touchdown. What a throw by Minshew. He drops it in the bucket, and the Jaguars are back on top. Well, I know Jim Moore's not going to like this, but Gardner Minshew has some problems. He has discomfort on his throwing thumb, and now we find out he's got multiple fractures of the thumb, and that was an injury that suffered on October 11th and explains some things. It explains why his accuracy has been off the last two weeks. Uh, you know, he didn't tell anybody about it. He didn't feel like he had any pain, and all of a sudden now they find out there's multiple fractures of the right thumb. And Sunday, he completed only 14 of 27 passes, 51%. Now, fortunately for him, there's no game this week. Uh, they're on the bye week, and so he can try to at least get healthy and see where he is next week when they play the Houston Texans. But Mike Glennon is the backup quarterback. They're actually thinking about going to one of the younger quarterbacks if Minshew is not available. But at this stage, they don't know Minshew's availability. They are on the bye week. And so we'll find out more next week. You can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we'll talk about, uh, well, one trade in, more coming for the Seahawks. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, the, uh, you know John Snyder. You know he's going to be busy. You know he's going to be on the phones from now until Tuesday, trying to see what other things he can do. There are limitations. You know, the team now only has about five draft choices, so can't do too much there. Uh, but, you know, they have draft choices in the future and all those different things that they can work on. You know, they have maybe a player or two that might interest. Uh, you know, I thought that, you know, and that's that's what I think the beauty of the Carlos Dunbar trade was, is that, uh, sure, it did cost a seventh-round pick, but it's a seventh-round pick, and most of those guys, for the most part, don't work out. I know Chris Carson's worked out some others have worked out but still it's hard to really hit on something in the seventh round and one thing that i think that uh, people 
tend to forget is that, uh, you know, how good is the draft going to be next year? Because I think you talk to a lot of general managers, as I do, and what they say is that, you know, so many players have opted out of college and have not played, so you don't have to have anything on them this year. And you have also the fact that uh, there's so much less games to be able to look at. There's so many complications. And so this draft is going to be one of the most confusing and toughest to be able to hit on. And so if there's a year where you're taking a little bit off the draft, this might be it and concentrating on getting value for players. But at this stage, okay, they got the defensive end in Carlos Dunlap. They still could use maybe another one. It's a possibility too. And they can look around and see what's going to be available. So I know that uh, I, I still don't think that they're done. We do. There's a cap issue right now where they entered yesterday with $1.3 million of cap room and they've got to make up a little bit of the difference between the contract of Dunlap, which, you know, is uh, pretty substantial, and also for uh, Finney, which isn't as big because it was a two-year, uh, $7 million contract. And so there's, you know, five, a little less than $5 million in the remaining cap right now for uh, Dunlap, and there's like about maybe two and a half or so for, uh, you know, certainly right now Finney. So, are they done yet? Well, I know Brock Heward was on today with Danny and Gallant, and he voiced his opinion. Do they need to make another addition to, to help this pass rush? Yeah, I would love another addition, Danny. I don't know those names. You mentioned Tack McKinley, and yep. you know I've, I've had Atlanta a couple times this year, and he's just been a, a woeful disappointment in a, in a groin that just can't get healthy. I think he's played like nine snaps the last five games, and, and he's just been woefully inconsistent really over the four years. So I don't, as I looked at that list, I, there wasn't anyone that I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, that that's going to, he's going to come in, and he's going to totally energize and crank it up. As I said, Dunlap gives you a little bit of what you were looking for in Bruce Irvin, and that is just a, a hyper-physical presence on the edge that can also rest the passer. So you kind of not, not that he's a strong side linebacker, don't confuse me with that, mm-hmm. or confuse my statement with that, because Bruce was a strong side linebacker and a, and a pass rusher. I mean, he's a, he's a Leo, but he's a physical set-the-edge kind of guy. So, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be, you know, if there's another trade, and, and I thought that was the beauty of this one, Danny, and if you looked at it, you were like, okay, financially, this makes a little sense that you're able to pair a couple million bucks if any contract off and, and make some of those numbers work and everything else. I think it'll be more difficult to move another piece. I mean, Jacob Hollister doesn't give you that much savings now. What, a million, million and a half, maybe? Um, you know, there's just not that bang for the buck as there was with Finney and I think with the player like Dunlap. So I'm not, I'm not holding my breath that there's going to be another major acquisition. And I think uh, Brock brought up the key word there, a major acquisition, because uh, what you're seeing right now, particularly with the 10 or 11 bad teams that might be willing to make deals, you know, they're trying to unload contracts and they're able to unload them, try to, you know, maybe, you know, get them for cheaper prices. But the problem is, you know, this team entering yesterday was the lowest as far as cap room. And that's going to limit your chance to be able to do it. And that's why I think the key that uh, Brock says is major. And that's why I think in now minor type of deals, that's why I still kind of keep in the back of my mind, although I hope this doesn't happen, that, you know, Jacob Hollister, uh, if somebody would offer a seventh round pick for him, could be gone because, you know, you have a little bit more than half of a $3.259 million salary that's going to be there. So that would save, you know, a little over a million dollars of cap room and to get you a draft choice 
and also takes you in a position right now where there's so many options right now at the tight end position because you know they they have their top two and Greg Olson and Will Disley. They have uh, you know Luke Wilson who was actually inactive yesterday, and they have Hollister, but also uh, Colby Parkinson is you know now on the on the clock right now to possibly come off the uh, NFI list, and so uh, you know he could be an option. So they do have the flexibility of doing something there, but I don't know Curtis Rogers. I think that again I go with what Brock says. I, I still know you know John Snyder well enough that uh, he's going to be trying to see what he can acquire and what can go if he's if any more additions to the defense. And I think anything they add would certainly be more on defense than offense. But in the end, I think that uh, you still look at it and say, okay, uh, what's going to fit? That's why I think Brock is so right in saying it's not going to be a major acquisition. Yeah, and, and I think part of the reason why I don't think there's going to be a major acquisition like you think, John, is because of those guys who are either a getting healthy off the you know off IR and, and all that, or guys who have signed here but haven't made it to the active roster. That'd be Snacks Harrison and Michael Kendricks, and I feel like those could be considered acquisitions at this point. We haven't seen them on the field, but they can't be any worse than what we've seen from the Seahawks defense so far here in 2020. And I would imagine that Snacks Harrison's presence could have the biggest impact of any of the newcomers. I mean, Carlos Dunlap, we're still a, a week away from seeing him on the field with Seattle. Uh, you know, he's got the one sack this season, saw his playing time really go down uh, in Cincinnati. That was due more in part because of his age and, and how Cincinnati's trying to really just do a full-scale rebuild over there. Um, but to me, I look at who is coming off the injured lists and, and, and IR and all that, and I think the Seahawks could consider a lot of those guys as, as new acquisitions this time of year. Um, I don't know if they have anything of value that could land them a big piece. And looking at the pieces that are on the trade market right now, it, it, there aren't many game-changing talents available, John, and, and I mean, we're seeing a lot of guys who are about 30 years old, 31 years old, or who are entering the final year of their contract. Uh, there aren't any players I see out there right now that could really enhance a team's Super Bowl chances just based off of bringing them in here. Yeah, no doubt. And that's, a, and that's the thing that uh, you know, I think people tend to not think about is that uh, you know, John Snyder did come up and take advantage of what's there as far as uh, one, the practice squad where you can have six veterans and it doesn't matter what their experience is to bring them in. And he's been able to integrate and got two of them on the roster right now, Ray Ray Armstrong and also uh, Demarius Randall, former first-round pick at safety. And you know, sitting there and waiting to see upon call is Damon Snacks Harrison, who can be a big factor. And you know, somebody, let's put it this way, if he was in Detroit, uh, you know, he would possibly be traded for a seventh-round pick or something, although Detroit's now trying to you know, change things around. Now they're trying to trade four players, not trade players away. But, I, I, again, not major. But, again, and also Michael Kendricks, who could help out. And so you put all those things together. Those are uh, some pretty good options. You know, and again, what's interesting is that uh, they're all on defense, which, of course, I think that's the key. And so, you know, the ability to kind of talk those guys into being able to uh, be available to do this as far as being a uh, you know practice squad guy. You know Eric Reed was offered a chance to go to the Washington Redskins, and of course you know he he's been uh, you know 
angry because he thinks because of his stand on protests and everything else that he's not getting the opportunity. And so he got the opportunity when Landon Collins went down with the Achilles injury. And they said, well, you come on the practice squad. And it was funny because I was going through this last night is that uh, there's only been maybe in the last three, four weeks, only two players that, uh, you know, signed just uh, veteran guys, and I'm talking about you know longer-term guys, Antonio Brown, for example, being one that just signed to the active roster. I mean, you know, most of the other guys have signed to the practice squad and then made the move to come on the active roster with the signing. Yeah, and it looks like a lot of those veterans uh, who have been around for as long as Antonio Brown has, guys like Earl Thomas and Clay Matthews, mm-hmm. I would I would be more stunned if they played this season rather than sit out the rest of the year and and maybe go for it again in 2021 because. I mean, what's there for them to gain playing the you know just about a half season here at this point? Not a lot for either one of those guys. No, no question about it. And so that's the the, the roster uh, juggling that has to be done, and players have to accept it's a it's a new reality this year, and you may not like it, but again, it's like okay, your option is you don't get to play at all, and you you know lose a year of service, you lose the chance to you know maybe get something next year because it's even going to be tighter under the cap. So that uh, is going to be pretty crazy to kind of follow up. Hey, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we'll chat with Michael Bumpus, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us is Michael Bumpus. And, uh, Michael, of course, uh, the mission right now is to fix the defense, to try to get this thing going in the right direction. And uh, they made the move yesterday to get Carlos Dunlap at a very affordable type of price. Again, it was tight against the cap, but then again, that all can be worked out. But for a seventh-round pick and B.J. Finney, who didn't play an offensive down with this team, I thought they came away with us pretty well. Yeah, I like the move, John. You know, I know I was looking at Everson Griffin as well, um, but they didn't go that route. They went with Carlos Dunlap, and I'm okay with it, man. I mean, I know he only has one sack this year, but honestly, he wasn't getting a lot of time. Maybe the relationship with coaches down there was a little bit off, but you look at his down year. His down year, he had four and a half sacks. That four and a half sacks would have led the team in sacks last year. You bring a veteran to this defensive line, a guy who knows how to play the position well, who can lead these young guys. He's 31 years old, a little older, but he's not ancient out there. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm just glad they made a move, and they made a move with a guy who's been there and who's done that. So hopefully he gives this defensive line a boost. Yeah, no doubt. And, of course, uh, you know it was much needed, and it looks like even though he's you know, 6'6", 285 pounds, he does have that edge ability to play Leo. Yeah, and, and that's what you need. You need that versatile guy. He can drop in the space. He can walk down, playing a two-point, playing a three-point. Just versatile, just an athlete. When you're down to that defensive line, it's all about winning your one-on-one matchups. And when you're 31 years old, you've been in the league a while, you've had a lot of success, um, you have some tricks up your sleeve. So not only will, will he win his battles, maybe he'll teach some other guys some things. Ben Tameyoa, um, Alden Robinson when he gets back, Daryl Taylor maybe when he gets going, Rasheem Green when he gets back. It's going to be a group effort, but it's nice to have a guy who can lead the charge. Yeah, no doubt. And, of course, uh, you know, now what other moves, if any, do you think could happen? 
John, I think they're done. Honestly, yeah. I, I the the way that Pete Carroll talks about this defense, he, he likes the secondary, and I do as well. He likes that linebacker core. You have Jordan Brooks, who's who's healthy, and he's coming back. You have Cody Barton, who can fill in. And really, they were looking for one piece on that defensive line. Offensively, we know we know they're good. They're one of the best, if not the best, offenses in the NFL. So I think they're done, John. It could very, very well could be because, you know, there's not the cap room to be able to do something. And I think Brock Heward said it uh, earlier. It's like, okay, uh, you know, because you you think you make a move, you make a major move. And I think that Dunlap is a major move, but uh, a major move right now can't be made. It's just now trying to get, you know, something that if there is going to be something on a cheap price or, you know, something that's kind of like a giveaway. Yeah, or, or develop your youngins, and, yeah. and that's what they do best. They always find a guy, diamond in the rough, who will develop over the, the season or over a year or two. I think things are in place. We can't expect this defense to just transform now and be world beaters to be a top-10 defense. That's not what they're going to be. They're too, they're too deep into a hole at this point. Now they just want to cut back on yards, cut back on points, and just keep giving this offense opportunities to do what they've been doing. Yeah, and that's that's the thing now. It's a matter of just hunkering down and trying to you know get the best out of this group. Now, do you think it can happen? Because I mean, you've seen particularly uh, you know and the challenges of these next few games. You saw both the running uh, you know running type teams with Arizona and the running of Kyler Murray. And also what you see is that, uh, you know, they've got a San Francisco team that has some some of the best running schemes. Sean McVay, who has a great running scheme, you know, uh, but how can they hold up on the passing end of it? You know, it's it's. Thankfully, they're not going to see Kyler Murray again yet. They're going to see him down the road, obviously, because you play division opponents twice. But they're not going to see a guy that presents that challenge. And the challenge that Kyler Murray presents is just the unknown. I'm going to get outside the pocket and be special. Now it's about being disciplined. You play a team like the 49ers, John, they're going to shift. They're going to motion. They're going to sit a running back right. They're going to hand it off left. They're going to boot out. They're going to do a lot of things to try to get linebackers and defensive linemen to bite and take the bait. Now it's all about just playing discipline. Get around Jimmy Garoppolo, collapse that pocket, and allow the strength of your defense, which I feel like is the second and third levels, really to go to work. So it's not about really getting sacks at this point. It's about creating chaos in the pocket and making Jimmy G turn the ball over because we know he loves to do that. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. And he's not a mobile quarterback, so he's going to be stationary. And, uh, you know, he, he, we'll see how it is. The offensive line has done a very good job this year. Uh, for San, I've been up and down for San Francisco. I mean, they had about a two, three yeah. game stretch where they were pretty bad. I know that Mike McGlinchey was getting criticism. Uh, you know, they, Trent Williams was a little bit banged up, but he's played well. But overall, it's like this is going to be a big challenge in this game. As as we kind of look, as we're almost at midseason right now. Can we look and evaluate from what you've seen of some of these players? Like, for example, your thoughts on Benson Mayoa. Benson Mayo, I feel like he's had some good moments, John. There are, I mean, he has two sacks. He's tied for the lead on this team when it comes to sacks. And he's had some good moments. This is his first year being a legit starter. You know, he's usually a rotation guy. And what happens is kind of like when kids start school. You know, the first two, three weeks of school, they're super excited. Their grades are good. And then they get into a slump and they don't want to wake up and go to school. That's where Ben Mayo is right now. You know, he's, his, his body is not used to all these snaps, and I feel like he's had a couple of rough games. But he'll flash, and he'll show you that he's capable of doing it. So as the season goes along, I, I expect him to, to keep on adjusting and just getting used to being out there for the majority of the game. But I'm okay with where he's at. There were a couple of mistakes that he made last game, but who didn't make a mistake last game? You got Russell Wilson throwing three interceptions. So that, that's, that's the game of football. You're not going to play perfect, but can you bounce back? And I see Ben Mayo making 
strides. Yeah, no doubt. And so now the uh, the challenge is going to be there. And now, uh, you know, knowing you played offense, you played defense, what creative things can you do in the in the backfield with the injuries that they have at the running back position? Ah, oh, man, creative things. I don't think see, Seattle's not a real, I guess, creative offensive team when it comes to the run game. It looks nothing like the 49ers. The 49ers will have a fullback back there. They have two backs to motion, a receiver back there. They motion them out. They just don't do things like that. The thing that the Hawks do, they just line up and rely on their offensive linemen to get a push. They're a big zone scheme. Can that guard get to the second level and and push that linebacker back? It's all about the running backs knowing where the, the strengths are. If you're running a zone, you press the B gap, you look for a cutback. You don't do anything special back there. If, if they were more of a 40 49ers type run game, then I would say, you know, John, they're going to motion this guy and, and, and run counters, counters and stuff, but that's just not what they do. So as a running back for the Seahawks, it's all about getting downhill. Three yards is okay on first down. Seven is a lot better than second and ten. Yeah, no question. And so now it's a matter of just trying to execute and do the good job and all that stuff. I mean, uh, how do uh, how do you kind of evaluate uh, you know the mistakes that Russell made because they're uncharacteristic? And one thing that's great about Russell, I mean, he usually uh, does great things in the fourth quarter and in overtime if necessary. But also, he's able to bounce back better than just about any other quarterback after having a loss or a bad a little bit of an off game. Yeah, I mean, he he made three mistakes, and um, that first pick was just a floater. He tossed it up. This is the look that he saw in practice all week. When he talked to Pete Carroll, he goes, in practice it was that open, so he tossed, he floated it up that to that flat to Chris Carson. It's been open all week, so that's the way he threw the football. He's going to look at film and say, you know, and I got to put something on it. That 50-50 football to DK Metcalf. DK slows down. That was a miscommunication. That last pick to, I believe he's trying to go to Tyler Lockett. He was just confused. The Arizona Cardinals showed seven. Showed seven guys are going to rush, and everyone drops into a zone. He was anticipating a receiver looking. So a lot of that was miscommunication and him just being fooled. What we know about Russell Wilson is he always bounces back. He won't be fooled on the same gimmick again. He's going to go watch the film. And I expect the 49ers to try to do some of the same things. That's what teams do. Once you put it on film, everyone's going to try to do it. This is how you beat Russell Wilson, okay? We're going to try to confuse them at the line of scrimmage and then drop our linebackers. So they're going to try to do that, but Russ is going to be prepared. I don't see him having a game like that this year at all. And, of course, that's the one thing, too. It's like, okay, you talk about the injury situation in the backfield for the Seahawks. There's much worse right now for the 49ers. I mean, we'll still have to see how practice goes the next couple of days. But I don't know if Richard Sherman's going to be back. Certainly uh, the two safeties were out last week. Don't know their status for this week. Uh, they're down Debo Samuel, who went on injured. Or he's he's, he's going to be out, not going to be able to go. You know, Jeff Wilson, running back, uh, now joins you know Raheem Mostert on the injured injured reserve list. And so they've got a lot of injuries they have to deal with. Yeah, they're banged up. And especially that running back spot, it's probably going to be McKinnon maybe yeah. back there run, running the ball. And uh, the thing about the 49ers, though, they have guys – who can fill in and get it done. It's not going to look like, I, I, I don't expect Wilson to look like, excuse me, McKinnon to look, to look like what Wilson did on that pass game. But there, there are guys who understand their run scheme. Now, the pass game is a bit different. Now you're depending on Brandon Ayuk, a rookie out of Arizona State. You still have George Kittle. So Debo Samuel missed a few games already, and they did okay. 
But when you lose a guy like that, you lose some plays in the playbook. There were plays designed specifically for that guy. The 49ers have been one of the, if not the most banged up team in the NFL. If I'm the Seattle Seahawks, you never take a team lightly, but you're looking at this team. You're like, it's time to go. You have to pounce on this team and take advantage of the situation. There's no way you, sh- you can go down. Oh, two in this division. It's too competitive. You have to take care of this football team and um, just ex- exploit them. These DBs are looking at Debo being out, and I'm sure they're 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 happy with it. You never wish ill on a man or being injured, but it is what it is. These are the circumstances. So it's all about taking advantage of these moments and getting back to that rush defense that we were used to seeing in the beginning of the season. They were a top three rush defense, then a top seven kind of faltered a bit. Did okay the first half against the Arizona Cardinals, holding uh, Kenyon Drake to 28 yards. Later in the game, he kind of got loose. So just getting back to who they were at the beginning of the season. No doubt about it. You uh, you on tonight on uh, Seahawks Live? I'm on tonight, John. Okay, I'll talk to you at 745. Talk to you then, man. All right, sounds good. Of course, uh, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at 5. Don't forget, top of the hour, John Lynch, general manager of the 49ers, joins us. Coming up next, we go behind the lines. Check out the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And, of course, it's time to go behind the lines, check out what's going on in the National Football League. And, Curtis, here's the one that I think kind of find interesting. For all the people that have been clamoring for Antonio Brown to be a part of uh, you know, this team in Seattle. And, uh, you know, and so now, because, uh, again, I, I still think there was more problems, and I think we both agree that it was going to be worth. And so now uh, Bruce Arians yesterday, who still seems, sounds still reluctant that this can happen, uh, still not happy. He's he's now saying that uh, he's thinking about switching to a four-receiver offense. Now, remember, his plan going in was to go ahead and be a two-tight-end offense and uh, you know give the protection and extra protection to Tom Brady. You know, make sure that you have two good tight ends, Rob Gronkowski. You know, what used to be O.J. Howard, but he's out for the season. And then you know they still have Cameron Brait. But now the idea is go four receivers to get Antonio Brown on the field, which of course does two things that I think could cause some internal problems. One, it's going to take away catches from Mike Evans and take away catches from uh, Chris Godwin, and Godwin's fighting for a contract extension. And he's going to put an extra receiver out there. And it's also going to you know, pretty much bench the, uh, the tight ends if they do that. Yeah, it's going to be too many cooks in the kitchen as yep. far as uh, just looking at this situation in Tampa Bay with all the receivers and all the guys they have thrown to. And, and don't forget, John, the leading receiver for Tampa Bay on Sunday was Scotty Miller, somebody who is not amongst that group of great wide receivers and great tight ends. He finished with 109 yards and a touchdown for Tampa Bay for, for against their game against Vegas. So uh, it just it seems like they have way too many weapons that – we all know Antonio Brown. We all know the history of him. He complained one time for not getting enough targets when he had, what, 17 targets in a game. Uh, that, to me, just screams like a combustible situation. And we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Mike Evans' targets have gone down. And he's, I would say he's definitely a top 10 receiver in the NFL uh, if you're lining up every receiver and uh, in the entire league. I mean, just looking at the sheer numbers of of pass catchers in Tampa Bay 
there's no possible way Tom Brady's going to be able to get everybody what they want unless they throw the ball 60, 70 times a game. But they have a, a pretty decent running back stable, too, with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones and all those guys, uh, Shady McCoy, too. It, it just seems like there wasn't really a plan in how they put together that offense. They just wanted to get as many big names as possible in hopes that that would put them over the top. Yeah, and again, it's like, uh, why are you messing with something that's working right now? I mean, they're 5-2. and two. Sure, it's always great, as John Snyder and other top general managers do, to add talent, but to create potential problems. And, you know, because again, it's like, okay, here's... Uh, you know, guys that either have contracts coming up or there's incentives in the contracts and it changes things. And, you know, they do have at least, you know, depending on where you want to put DK Metcalf and uh, Tyler Lockett, you know, the best combination of wide receivers, the best wide receiver duo in Evans and Godwin. And now you're messing with it. Yeah. And it, it just... It doesn't seem like it's going to end well for everybody there uh, in Tampa Bay. Also, John, speaking of wide receivers, the Patriots, they need help with wide Mm -hmm. receivers in the worst way. They will be without their best one for a while. Julian Edelman uh, undergoing a procedure for his knee injury. Uh, He'll be out Sunday, potentially longer. Uh, Could this be sort of the the straw that breaks the camel's back and, and really kind of makes New England say, you know what? 2020 just not in the cards for us maybe we maybe we become sellers here yeah i think that does i think it definitely does because uh it's not a good situation it's one that uh you look and you say okay uh you know, they have nothing at the tight end position, at least any kind of production. Now you lose Edelman, and you know who's who's there. I mean, N.K. Harry and Neil Harry, Neil Harry has been a major disappointment. I mean, our buddy Christian Foray just absolutely ripped him for poor route running. You know, not paying attention, all those different things. And I think, as one general manager said last week, that may be the slowest receiver group in football. And now it takes out the main guy for Cam Newton. And you know, here it is, Cam Newton is you know on the verge of maybe being benched for the rest of the season, got benched last week for his poor performance. He's not in sync, and now he's got less. And, you know, that's the thing that I think Tom Brady has to be reveling in, maybe not totally, but he's reveling in the idea. It's like, hey, I go to uh, Tampa, and they're giving me more things than I ever had in uh, New England. Speaking of of the Patriots, uh, the biggest name probably floated out there in trade talks over the last couple of days uh, would be Stephon Gilmore, the reigning defensive player of the year. Albert Breer mentioned uh, a couple of days ago that if the price is right, he could get moved. Anything you're hearing on Gilmore, any teams willing to pay the hefty price that it's going to take to get him to, to leave New England? I tend to doubt it. I think there's just not enough time and not enough cap room for teams to be able to make a move like that or even draft choice capital to be, do something like that. So I tend to look like that may, may not happen. Uh, but again, I just find it curious that uh, he quietly and again, it's not like he tweeted it out or anything else, you know, put his house up for sale and wants the deal done by Tuesday, the draft deadline. Mm. And so it's like, uh, what 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 is that all about? The old Carlos Dunlap route. Uh, he he tweeted out a couple of days before getting traded to Seattle that his house was on the market. So yeah, maybe but again, this this wasn't even a tweet. I mean, this was true. Just, I mean, you go through the real estate things. Oh, look at this. Stefan Gilmore. His house is up for sale. Just browsing Zillow, yeah. browsing all those real estate websites. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow, wow. just amazing. So it's like, uh, you know, what is going on with that one? Very bizarre stuff with Stefan Gilmore. But, but again, it's like the definitive thing is, and you know, you say goodbye to the dynasty, and that technically can happen on Sunday because they have to travel to Buffalo, 
Buffalo's the better team. If Buffalo wins, then they're six and two, and you know you got a five, a two and five Patriot team. Yeah, and and the Dolphins are up on the Patriots mm-hmm. too. They've got three wins. Obviously, the the Jets. You don't have to worry about no, them, no. but. Uh, yeah, it's it's becoming a little more clear now that the AFC East has has passed up the Patriots at least in 2020. Who knows what next year looks like? But don't you find that amazing? Yeah, how quickly it, it went from. I mean, the Patriots last year started the season what like eight and zero, nine and zero. Yeah, but of course that was a, such an easy it's schedule. True. Like of those uh, eight games, I think seven were against teams that uh, had losing records. Yeah. Six or seven of them, yeah. It uh, it turned very quickly on the Patriots. And then, John, we mentioned it in the top five. Uh, Gardner Minshew uh, with multiple fractures and a strained ligament in his right thumb. And that's his throwing hand. Yeah. I would imagine he's going to be out for at least a couple of weeks uh, trying to deal with that. Uh, is this the is this basically Jacksonville throwing up the white flag and saying we we're in for Trevor Lawrence now? Uh pretty much, yeah. Although that's the thing that I also find crazy. It's like okay, if they're if it's going to be a tanking job, what gives Doug Marone and the general manager uh, you know, the idea that they're going to be back? Because uh, you know if, if they get a tanking job, there's going to be a, probably a new general manager and a new and a, and a, and a new coach. That's true. Although Doug Marone survived what the last season, he also yeah. survived that year where they went over to London and had like five players get arrested the night before mm-hmm, the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's he's survived a lot in Jacksonville, which kind of boggles the mind. But like you said, John, I, I don't see him surviving any further. I mean, he's had just the one winning season uh, in 2017, and that's really the only bit of success Jacksonville has had. Uh, ever like probably post Jack Del Rio as their head coach. It's been a long time since Jacksonville's been uh, a, a great, great team, and uh, I don't think Doug Marone's going to be the guy to get them there. No, no, and that's just it's just a bad team. That's the thing that's just so remarkable about this. It's like they are really, really bad. Hey, well, something's going to be really good. We're going to talk to the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers, John Lynch. Next, it's the John Clayton Show, seven ten ESPN Seattle.